All right, welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's The Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. Uh, in our new studio. Yeah, we're recording in a little bit of a different setting, and we don't have our, uh, we don't have any pop filters or anything, so we're gonna have to uh, mind our peas. Yeah, that's how you do it. You just turn turn, turn away. To the side. Yeah, just turn away just from the Just speak it away from the microphone. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into episode five, I would like to thank... Uh, we have a listener who emailed us uh, with some suggestions. There were some ideas. And one thing he brought up was that we talk about... Or I mentioned iTunes a lot. Not everyone uses iTunes. And that's uh, just something I default to because I think it's probably the most popular thing. And it's just this kind of like it's like a it's like kind of like Google, you know what I mean? It's kind of just like search Google or whatever. Right. But and it's it's almost shorthand. Yeah, yeah. And with that being said, if there is um some th- uh, an app or some sort of podcast directory that you use to listen to this that we're not listed in, let me know, and I will email those people. I've already done that with a handful already. Um, so yeah, iTunes is just kind of a shorthand. But one thing that he did bring up that we didn't mention in our last show was that the guilty remnant were were uh it was mentioned that the guilty remnant were sort of a nationwide cult and it's brought up in this episode too and the one thing that kind of made me think of was what's patty's role in the guilty guilty remnant remnant. knowing that it's nationwide like is she just sort of the head of this chapter is she reporting to somebody higher uh and those are you know, uh, all the more relevant now because of the latest episode, I think. But I think I just kind of have the feeling that she's just kind of a chapter yeah. leader. I, I, I have that feeling too. She's just a really devoted uh, chapter head. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that email was from, uh, uh, he called himself Zeus. I don't know if that's his real last name, but thanks, Zeus. Yeah. Uh, and uh, keep them coming. Yeah. Well, he, he emailed me, actually, because I think I oh, re- really? I, yeah, replied all. Mm-hmm. And then he emailed me uh, today. And all he said was he thinks this last episode is the first time love was actually mentioned the word love. Episode he, five. Yeah. And he was going to kind of check that. So Zeus, let me know if you've done your homework, if you've checked it. Oh, that was his prediction for the show, or that's what he thought after watching it? After watching it, he said, I think this is the first time that the word love was kind of mentioned by a character. Yeah. It's the first time two characters oh, actually... Oh, that's right, because the they said say they I love you at the yeah. end. Okay. All so, right. Yeah, well, with that being said, let's get into episode five, uh, titled Gladys. And uh, it starts with... Gladys. Gladys. <laughs> Unfortunately for her. So there's no kind of theorizing on the title of this yeah, one. It's right. pretty straightforward. Pretty so obvious. They've put aside the uh, pretentious titling for this one. Yeah, and I saw the remaining of the titles, and I none of them stuck out to me. It was a while ago, but none of them stuck out to me like the last couple. So I don't know if that's over or what. But there is at least a string of them where it was like just one word. So like right. this one, I think maybe the next one, I can't remember. But anyways, we'll go ahead and just, like we've done before, we'll, we'll hit sort of the major things in the episode, and then we'll run down just sort of any uh, stray observations we had. But the episode's called Gladys. It opens with a um, very brutal 
uh, unnerving, disgusting, like not something Sony. I want to see. Murder of Gladys. Yeah, they they really really went for it. Yeah, they did. They went all in. So I guess the the big question is, who was it, right? So the the well the the scene or the show opens with uh, Gladys and Patty staring at each other. And the one thing that I had sort of noticed is that outside of Patty and Lori, um, Gladys was the guilty remnant member who had the most screen time, right? She True. was always kind of the go-to. And I think it was more or less meant to be that she was Patty's sort of right-hand woman, right. right? So the show opens with them two staring at each other. Um, Gladys nods at the end of it and then it cuts to them just walking about town being guilty remnant ignoring elderly fallen people right and, sh- and Gladys has become like the <laughs> guilty remnant <laughs> ideal the superhero yeah, right um, she's the prodigy all of a the sudden pro- yeah I'm walking by old people <laughs> I'm uh, staring at this is how you guilty remnant right <laughs> yeah she could make that guy curse them out in just seconds yeah. of staring. <laughs> Somehow she gave him a look that just set him off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, that's right. The one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it very quickly turns to uh, her being kidnapped, duct taped to a tree and stoned. Um, and so the question is, who has done this? Right. Poor sweet Gladys. To poor Gladys. My first, and my first, I at first I didn't even question it, really. I just assumed it was sort of the community, right? Uh, but as you go on, there are things that feed into it. Um, and one thing that you wrote down that I thought was really interesting, and it's also interesting that you bring up the guy cursing her out, is the people who grabbed her and tied her up never say anything. Right. The only person that says anything is Gladys. Right. Um, and the on, the the only interactions we've ever seen with the community and the guilty remnant is them cursing them out right. or yelling at them. So it would be very odd for a group from the community to kidnap a member of the guilty remnant and then not say anything to them. Right. right. Or to, yeah, not say anything for what purpose to protect your identities from right. the person you're going to kill right it, d- it doesn't make any sense you think that you'd want they would want her to know exactly who's doing this you know as somebody who follows people around and stares at them it seems like it would be fitting for that person who's been stared up by gladys to be like look at me one more time right. you know see who's doing this to you you followed me around it's so I mean to me thematically it the 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 murder doesn't make sense right if it's if it's being committed by the community by the community or by a rogue band of you know people from the town that's right uh and another th- another thing that I think links oh, this just popped in my head do you think those dogs that Dean shot were on their way to eat Gladys like they were running really quickly yeah towards gladys yeah. were they just are they that rabid <laughs> they could be the they mapleton dogs already they, yeah they, they're running full speed to eat gladys <laughs> yeah another thing that uh 
that I think points to the guilty remnant in, guilty remnants involvement in the murder is Lori's panic attack and breakdown outside of the one of the guilty remnant houses and it, I've sort of swung back and forth on this because at first I was convinced it was because she was there right and she had she was getting overwhelmed with the experience and I think her uh, later on you see her in the motel and she has a flashback or at least a brief uh, recollection right right and I would I I think up until this point we've never been shown one of those that the person didn't actually experience you know what I mean so it would be weird to be given one of those and have it just be like Lori just sort of imagining what it was like for a brief moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's why I think um, she had to have been there to have that flashback. And that's why the experience would be so overwhelming that she starts having panic attacks, right? Uh, and then uh, Patty takes her to a diner to sort of have a, for lack of a better term, especially with the show, to sort of have like a come to Jesus moment, right? Like she's sitting her down to say like, the way I read it is she's sitting her down to say like, you know, like man up or get out. That's going to happen to you is how I read it. Oh, yeah. As a threat? Kind of. And I guess that is where we can talk about if we both believe that the guilty remnant have done this, what is the point? Is Gladys offering herself as a sacrifice is Patty trying to sort of legitimize her cause with the guilty remnant? You know what I mean? Is she trying to justify, you know, is she saying, it, I mean, from my point of view, the theory that I laid out last week is that the, the guilty remnant are viewing this as the tribulation period, right? During that period, if they're following those beliefs, they also believe that they're going to be martyred and they're going to be attacked, right? So is Patty just like using this as a justification as like, this is a part of the process, more or less. Mm, like, so, how how would so you read that if the guilty remnant are involved? So, what you're saying is kind of showing Lori her future, saying, if you commit to the guilty remnant, this could be your future. Is that what you're saying, or using it as a threat of like, we could do this to you? Maybe both. I don't really know. I mean, I think it's hard to read because. Patty's kind of a sociopath. So right. it's like, you know, how is she, you know, how is she viewing it is kind of hard to read. But I imagine, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I, I definitely saw it as a kind of like a you need to get a hold of yourself meeting, right? Yeah, I guess I kind of took it as, as a test. I, I guess initially, and this is one of the issues of, especially with an episode this dense this is a very dense episode mm -hmm. to try and wrap your head around everything that's going on thematically as well as narratively i will say initially and my feelings about this may have changed as the episode went on initially during their initial discussion i took it as almost like Lori, if Lori had spoken had taken that opportunity that patty would have said you're not cut out to be here Mm -hmm. so whether she said like keep the clothes i gave you and get out and i never want to see you again yeah 
um, that's more how I took it than any kind of threat or even saying, like you said, if they do believe they're in the tribulation, that this, this is coming. This kind of persecution is coming. See, I don't see, I don't imagine Patty letting anybody leave the guilty remnant voluntarily. See, I guess, I guess that's, that's where we have kind of a different understanding of Patty right now. Mm. I will say at this point yeah, in the season is that I view her as a sociopath, but not as, um, what term would you use for it? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Evil? It's not evil yet. Not as I would just say. I think like sociopath. Like she's just sociopath. like, yeah. She's just crazy. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't see her as somebody who would kill somebody to keep them there yet. But she would kill somebody to like. Well, you know what I mean, like if she, if she, I. The way I see her is if she would, if she and Gladys or whoever or her on her own would plan to stone somebody else to right. death like i don't see there being much else that she wouldn't do well i think i think well i think there there's a, a real important difference between those two scenarios number one if it's a martyrdom that gladys helped plan and yeah. agreed to then that is in in line with a belief system if it was murder or threat or coercion then that is outside of a belief system that's that, true so I think that's the question. Is Patty just a big believer in this where she she's so sociopathic in her belief to say our beliefs are that we will be persecuted and it serves our purpose for us to start that persecution to make the guilty remnant look like they are susceptible to this to martyrdom and in that way either encourage more or do more within their own organization to make it seem like they're being persecuted. Yeah. Um, versus now she's now she's so power hungry that she is literally like, I will kill you if you leave me. Yeah. I don't know if she's there yet. Yeah. And I think it can also be read as, and we, we just need to get away from this. Just move on because it's the first, we're still talking about like the first, not even five minutes of show. But anyways, I, I think, it can also be read like why is why is then at the if if this whole thing is planned out between Patty and Gladys, why is Gladys begging for her life at the end of it? Did she just like really un- miss the, or like underestimate the power of like <laughs> being hit in the face with rocks? <laughs> right. Well, I guess okay. This this is maybe a quick transition um, to something related, but another conversation that I was interested in um, was in this attack. If we do think there's planned, and I guess the the contrary argument would be, you know, why was it so brutal? Did it have to be so brutal? Right. You know, and then you think about, well, why would she go through this? Why would she okay this to happen to her? Gladys, I'm speaking of. Yeah. And then I was thinking, well, what if this was the ultimate test or the ultimate purpose of this chapter of the guilty remnant or of Gladys. And what if Gladys failed? What if in her speaking, she failed the final test, which then might explain all the emotions afterwards. Patty is emotional about it. Uh, Lori is clearly emotional about it. And what if it is that Gladys who seemed to be the most dedicated, 
And that was something else that you got from the diner. Yeah. Even when her son died, she refused to speak in the same way that Lori refused to speak in the diner. And right before she died, she was stepping over old people. She did not care. She was the right-hand person, like you said. And so if the right-hand person cannot hold on to their belief through to the very bitter end, then what does that say about the whole belief structure? Is it really that kind of thin that somebody would not die for it? And when you think about the disciples and not all of it is maybe some of it is, is, is speculative, maybe, but the amount of the disciples who were martyred has been used by a lot of theologians and apologists as a defense of the faith of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Because these people held on to their belief even as they were being shoved into a log and sawed in half or crucified upside down, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, but Gladys could not do that. Mm-hmm. So that to me was my take on it. That I was wondering if this if this was the culmination of their belief and Gladys failed in her begging in her yeah. speaking. Yeah, and I. I think it again it just comes down to we have a difference in view of Patty whereas I don't see her being I see every single thing Patty does as being planned and manipulative so anytime she sees seems to be emotional I see that as her doing that to serve a greater purpose right I don't see her as being genuinely emotional okay Uh, but in the diner to speak to something that has seemed to bring up some confusion in the diner. There's a scene where Patty brings up uh, something that Lori said at the end. How does she put it at the end of their last session before everything changed or mm-hmm. something like that for her. Mm-hmm. And she said something like, do you remember what you asked me before? Uh, or do you remember what you asked me at our last session before everything changed? And then she writes a, the name Neil on a bag, pretends to cry, and then says, please excuse me or whatever. And I read that as Patty, and we literally just watched this scene before we started recording. And it, to me, it is very clearly just Patty mocking Lori. Lori, right? And mocking feels a little, I guess, mean-spirited, considering it seems like she's trying to sort of build Lori up, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. convince her to stay the course. But I feel like she's definitely mocking her and she's definitely trying to provoke Lori in some way. But the question is, who's Neil? Right. And they ended up leaving that bag at someone's house, presumably Neil's house, because, you know, why would you leave a bag with the name Neil on it at somebody's house who's not Not Neil? Neil. Right. (laughs) But, you know, the question is, who who's Neil? And you can speculate, but I guess nobody really knows. We don't have any information to know who Neil is. And at first I was thinking it was potentially her husband that left or, you know, which would be Tommy's dad, but he left and no one knows where he's at. That's kind of (laughs) the point of him leaving (laughs) and Tommy being upset. So who's Neil? Uh, But something that something that uh, in that speech, Patty brings up, she says that uh, fire, which is something that's been used in in the majority of the episodes, Mm -hmm. fire imagery. She says fire is doubt. So how do you read that? Is that is that is that interpretation strictly f- for Patty and the GR, or do you think that interpretation is speaking 
to the fi- larger fire imagery of the entire show. Right. Yeah. What What is fire? Could it be um, punishment? Could it be purification? Could it be doubt? And it could be all those things. Yeah. And I think it's been used multiple ways. I think that's Patty's interpretation is that fire is doubt. Yeah. But that is the thinking of a cult leader. You know, doubt, I think, is welcomed uh, by people who uh, I want to listen to who speak on things of faith or even science. Uh, doubt to me is almost a sign of the opposite. It's a sign of life. So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that the, the fact that Patty says that, that that's an endorsement of the show. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me that the, the fire, the, that fire imagery may be taking on different meanings for everyone. Different people. Sees it, but, but it is interesting. That's a central metaphor or idea for every character yeah you know a lot of characters that we see are going back to fire images in their dreams or whatever so the question is you know where are they pulling this from is it all just from a judeo-christian understanding or is it from these visions that are being given to them like kevin like in his dreams is it some force that is putting that fire imagery in in him yeah or yeah in his uh, dreams. Yeah, and the the last thing I want to talk about relating to Gladys is after the episode was over, I jumped into the um, Reddit discussion thread on the episode, and I was really surprised to see that a lot of people were talking about and asking the question of whether or not Gladys deserved, deserved. to be stoned. And I was just so like shocked that anyone could even think that someone deserves to be stoned let alone this woman who has been pretty much nothing more than a nuisance in the guilty remnant i mean granted they broke into people's houses and stole family photos but at the same time like that's not stonable right right? i mean like i'm i would have a hard time thinking of something that is stonable in this day and age well yeah that's what i was gonna say i mean barring the old testament there's very little that's stonable yeah i and i feel like too are we in the middle of a pendulum swing where when we first started this podcast guilty remnant guilty remnant came up everybody's like i kind of agree with the oh i would be in the guilty remnant or whatever and now it's like are are, is, is this those same people who have turned you know is this like the crowd welcoming jesus into uh, the city and then yelling to crucify him <laughs> like a few days later. I mean, are these yeah. the people, uh, how they respond to the GR? It's it to me, it's just bizarre. Yeah. And I want to know who these people are. Are they, were they always just calling for the guilty remnants head? But I, I don't think so. But yeah. look, nothing. I know this is a show, but nothing deserves that kind of a reaction or a response. Yeah. Nobody dying should should be welcomed with such praise and adoration whether it's on a tv show or real life especially so terribly you know what i mean it's not like she was just like shot in cold blood and left in the street like that was horrible to watch i hated watching that yeah yeah and wild dogs were racing to eat her (laughs) yeah (laughs) by the end of it yeah uh so following up with 
Gladys. We get a little more information on the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, explosive, and, and cult bureau. I love it. I love <laughs> it's, it. It's a mouthful. Um, but we get uh, we get an explanation first of all for w- one of the biggest, maybe not mysteries, but maybe like confusing <laughs> moments in the show, which <laughs> is at the opening of episode two, where you have these bureau members just blowing away teenagers and now we know that that's just something they do because that's protocol yeah that's protocol because they are potentially an unregulated aspect of the government or potentially regulated like maybe this is a known uh quantity you know what i mean they know what they're dealing with and so it's kind of a uh you know unspoken uh rule of thumb that they live by but one thing that I did notice from episode two that I mentioned is that I felt like it could have been potential foreshadowing for what's going to happen to the guilty remnant. And I think that's very obviously where the show is going and where um, and what Kevin is trying to keep from happening. Right. If not just because, you know, potentially just because his wife is in the guilty remnant, but also like maybe there is a aspect of kevin that just like cares for order and like you know what i mean mm-hmm. although i'm not really getting that at all from him. no <laughs> that's kind of just no wishful thinking um so yeah they they end up being this sort of shadow bureau that is just wiping out cults en mass shipping their bodies to warehouses a warehouse in dc and cremating all of them <laughs> Which also brings in the fire imagery, right? Which yes. is a different meaning from uh, doubt, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but that also brings us to Kevin and what is going on with Kevin. Like, is he slowly losing his mind? Is he just a poorly written character? <sighs> Does he have anger issues? Is well, it all of that's the above? Not a question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's going on with? Uh, Officer Mustard Stain, as his dry cleaner <laughs> put it. <laughs> oh man! Well, specifically, if if we want to get back, do you want to talk about the theory with, on the phone with the ATFEC? With oh Kevin? yeah, yeah, with the um, with him imagining it. You mean right? Do you want to touch on that, or do you want to save that for? for well, later? I think it's I think it's a potential, and I think it could speak to if Kevin is becoming mentally unstable, right. That's, that's what I was thinking. The idea is that he get, he finally gets a call from the agent, uh, and about two thirds of the way through the phone call, the agent starts, his voice starts to change, gets really low. And he starts talking about how with just a phone call or with just, if he just gave him the word, they could have a three van, Full, vans full of psychopaths AT, right down AT there members to you know exterminate his problem or take or however he wants to call it basically insinuating that they can have people there to kill everyone in the guilty remnant and sort of take care of the problem for them all the while his voice is changing and i will say that scene did like actually creep me out like mm-hmm. it really unsettled me hearing his voice just get deeper and deeper and deeper yes. and just like oh this is creepy right, right? and then the theory comes in uh, when 
Kevin first got the phone call, you can see the agent's name on the caller ID. When his voice gets really deep and Kevin has that moment of what we what we're we're unsure of what it is. He just pulls the phone away and <laughs> like you don't know if he's considering it or if he just is like confused at what he's hearing. Right. right. But he pulls the phone away. You can see that the caller ID is unknown. Right. So the idea is kind of maybe Kevin is imagining some of this. Maybe, you know, his sort of the the worst parts of his of his brain are getting a hold of him and he's just kind of like running with it. But what I said to you is the problem with that theory is that we have seen them do this. We saw <laughs> yes. them show up to Wayne's compound and just kill everybody. And we see at the end that they have a crematorium. Right, exactly. At full full capacity. Exactly. So if anything, you know, it it would be an interesting twist, but I really just took it as like a continuity thing, you know what I mean? I I agree with you. I don't I don't think that that holds water. I think it's interesting to talk about in the context of Kevin's sanity, which yeah. I also thought about with the shirts. But really quick, going back to this uh, ATFEC business, the the thing that stuck out to me too was again going back to the incompetence question. Yeah, you know this whole idea of, you know, even in this episode, you have this the the crime scene investigators or whatever like standing on the bloody rocks. You have them almost drop Gladys's body, you know, off yeah. the tree. And they they just seem like goofballs. Yeah. And then you have the therapist. You have pretty much everybody. And now you have this ATFEC, which are seem pretty incompetent as well. Yeah. They're going around just slaughtering people or the well, government. They're almost incompetent. actually the opposite of they're almost too efficient. You know what I mean? Yeah. They but, just show up, do their thing, yeah. get rid of the evidence and move on. But in, in a weird <laughs> way, I think it's, it's based out of incompetence though. Yeah. Like that guy, the, the apple chomping villain right. <laughs> of episode three or yeah. two, whatever, yeah. who's like, yeah, take them out, you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, to me, it's it's just what are they saying about the society at large? And this is one question I had for you: is are are these areas just impacted not only by the departure, which is two percent of the population, which we both agreed was a good number starting off? Yeah, like I like it that doesn't number. Doesn't seem like a good number, but like I said, that very opening scene with the mom losing her baby—that's yes. when you're like, okay, this. This would be pretty devastating. Right. And, and how it could hit some people harder than other people. Tornado effect, right? This house is standing, that one's leveled. Yeah. Th- I, I think it's great. I think 2% is, is a good number. So I was like, are they implying that you know, the amount of people who committed suicide after this, the amount of people who just walked away from their jobs, their lives, or are living in the woods, or have already started subsisting on life as if the apocalypse has happened yeah has really impacted the society at large even in in greater ways than what we imagined because there is no way that the society has been so impacted that this atfec agent would feel comfortable like over the phone with somebody they never met before being like do you want us to come eradicate literally hundreds of people and and attack a nationwide well-known cult like they they are so confident that they are will not be caught that they they will just come in at a chief's 
head nod yeah and wipe out people right i mean it's it's just absurd so again either kevin is imagining it or the society at large has been impacted in a far greater way than what we imagined and hopefully they'll they'll talk about that at some point like be like two percent departed but man if you add up you know the suicides and the people who've walked off the grid it's more like 20 percent yeah you know and then yeah. oh, okay well great right and now i have context and that 20 percent was the 20 percent of the world who are actually good at their jobs <laughs> right. now we've just got a bunch of bozos filling in bozos <laughs> who stand on bloody rocks and don't understand <laughs> the basic concept of crime scene investigation yeah. yeah so i mean i just wanted to touch on that too is what are they saying with this gross incompetence surrounding this story i don't I don't get it. Or is that just like the the humor that I'm not getting? Right. Yeah. And uh, to bring it back to Chief Garvey, you know, there seems to be a lot of implications that he's maybe like losing it like his dad did. But then there's always uh, explanations for it. Right. So like. He loses his bagels, but then he finds the bagels and they're just stuck in the machine, <laughs> right? And the baby Jesus disappears, but then it just turns out that his daughter stole it and it's back. So then in this in this episode, he loses his shirts, which are never found. But it's like, I don't understand why they keep going back to this device if the explanation is just it was misplaced. You know what I mean? Or right. if there's like a perfectly reasonable explanation for it. Right. So it's cl he's clearly and in this case, like I said, we don't know what happened to his shirts. I think it's pretty clear that the the eight shirts that were given to him, you know, at a threat of violence are not his <laughs> eight shirts. <laughs> right. But it, it just seems like a weird thing to keep going back to if the answer is going to constantly be oh, it's just misplaced. Oh, we're just building his character. He just happens to be like really forgetful. So is what you're saying is that potentially two percent? of the population are just misplaced. Like they are all going to <laughs> yeah. just come yeah. out of a deep woods and be like, somehow we all just ended up in the middle of the Amazon, but we're right. okay. It took us three years to get out. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing, well, before we get into just an overall impression of the episode, the last thing I want to talk about was uh, after. So uh, Kevin picks up Matt at some point in the episode, uh, Reverend Javenson, because he wants to question him about, the murder during that interview uh the reverend asks if he can be allowed to see the body so he can pray over it yep and of course the chief says no later on he changes his mind picks up doesn't he say the effort too when he says no probably <laughs> probably <laughs> um later on he changes his mind goes pick up goes to pick up matt they get stopped at a red light and then Matt go starts telling this parable from the book of Thomas. Yeah, the gospel, the, the Gnostic, go the Gnostic gospel of Thomas. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I have no I read an explanation, maybe or even I maybe I just read the passage itself, but that has gone over my head. But I'm sure it's significant in some way. Yeah, that specific story. Yeah. Well, I mean, Matt kind of deciphers what he meant by it. Yeah. You know, that what was his take? The truth. He sometimes says, said is is more dangerous. He said it's more difficult to speak the truth than to s remain silent. That's right. 
right? And That's he's right. speaking to the guilty remnant, of course. Which I feel, again, just to go back to my reading of the guilty remnant, I feel like Matt is looking at all of this very literally, right? Even though he's speaking in parables, right? Whereas the guilty remnant are sort of have a much more faith-based take on it, maybe, at least from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you have, this is a side question that may not have an answer. Do you have a sense, do you think Matt is still passing out flyers with the same fervency that he was before? Have you noticed a shift in Matt? Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but that's interesting because when he's picked up, Chief walks in on him like, <laughs> receiving applause for some reason, <laughs> but his house is like full of people, right? Yeah, yeah, and and they are applauding him. He's right. standing in the middle. I'm like, I right. don't know what he said to cause people to break <laughs> right. onto applause. Yeah, it's a weird Bible study where people are clapping for you, right? But he does seem to have taken a change, a a, a shift. He, you know, when he had his church, he saw this man who was fearful, yeah. driven by fear, and then now he just seems like. You know, he wants to pray for somebody. He has it together. He's the one, you know, telling odd stories to people with secret knowledge, you know, that that he knows what's going on. He seems like a different, different man. Yeah. I I think, I think Matt is the one character I just actually like in the show. I agree. Like probably the only one so far. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think that thing about that too. I think maybe there's one more that I like, um, and we'll touch on something at the very end, but do you want to wrap up the initial? Yeah, so just a a general impression of the episode. You liked it? You didn't like it? I I liked it. I'm having a weird relationship with it where I liked it the more I thought about it. Now that I'm thinking about it even more and talking about it, again, the seams start to, start to show a little bit. Yeah. And you start seeing like, they really they're answering some stuff but i just feel like they really need to start answering some of these basic you know questions uh and start giving us some foundation to stand on with these characters because right now i feel like i don't understand people's motivations for things i know that kevin is angry but man, you got to give him something else. Yeah. You know, I can't see him berate another launderer, you know, and curse at literally anybody who's in his vicinity. Yeah. I just I just need something more there. And with the guilty remnant, they are now pretty much heavily going after this idea that the guilty remnant are not good people. Right. You know, just like with Gladys stepping over the old man, that is the ideal of the guilty remnant. Don't help anybody. Don't feel anything. Uh, pester people. Steal their pictures. You know, I, I just need something more now. Yeah. And that was something I wanted to talk. We'll talk about in a little bit. But the 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 message of the gr of the guilty remnant still is still a l- pretty unclear but uh I, I oh i love that patty mentioned that too did you notice that in her comment with Lori? she's like people don't know what we believe or whatever <laughs> and i was like I didn't notice yeah that. you think you didn't notice that <laughs> no. yeah i wrote that down i actually 
can't remember. Yeah, the only thing I remember saying something along along the lines of like, uh, of not wanting to feel or whatever, like being in unemotional. Yeah, I have it in quotes. Nobody knows what you believe in, and she's like talking to to, to Lori about yeah how difficult it is. Anyway, yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah, you think <laughs> yeah, I I I I think. Uh, I think I am borderline, like, I think I'm bordering on just flat out not liking this show. <laughs> like, episode three with Matt was great. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Every episode besides that has been pretty mediocre at best, like, and pretty bad at worst. And I would put this episode more towards the mediocre scale. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I, I think I would. I think the problem at, at this point in, in episode five, all of the things, all of the little things that you notice and kind of complain about in the first couple episodes are really starting to add up, and they're not being addressed. Like you said, like like Chief Garvey is just like I don't know if it's just as like bad acting or bad writing or both. Or if it just is like his character, but just like something is not working with him, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like some of it is probably the acting, some of it is seems to be the writing because that sort of is is constant throughout the show, where a lot of the writing seems in, inconsistent, and that for me is just starting to add up to the point of where like, like I said, the only person I really care about or like is is Matt. Um, but to we'll just from there we'll just go right into our leftover observations because the first thing I have written down is that Justin Thoreau is not good, and my the my the thing that made me think that is when he's when he pulls Jill out of the classroom and she's like um, bawling her and eyes she's out. bawling her eyes out and his way to react to that to be like surprised is to literally just go whoa <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like the most terrible like way you can act surprised he just goes oh and he does the exact same thing to nora when they're in the hallway in the last episode right and she's talking about like how her family disappeared wherever and then it just cuts to justin throw and he's standing there he's like he's got this really like perplexed look on his face and then he just goes oh and he like then he realizes that she's the woman that lost every person in her family it just is like i don't know like if that's like a if that's like a purposeful acting choice he's making but it's really weird oh to have your character just be like oh when he's surprised (laughs) you know what i mean um the other thing i want to talk about was the hunter so the hunter shows up and and I think like we said, like we both predicted earlier, maybe he's real. I mean, I always thought he was real, right? There was a little bit of a question surrounding whether or not he was real, but he's real because other people have seen him and interacted with him. And he's also really emotional. (laughs) He's really like hormonal, I guess. Right. Because in the beginning, he's like, he's talking to Chief Garvey and then he's like, 
Yo, well, you would have known if you hadn't have burned me on all those hunting trips or whatever. You had like, left me hanging. Yeah, and you can see he's like really hurt that the chief didn't go hunting with them. Right. And then later in, on in the episode, he exacts his revenge by like calling them out in front of the entire city. Well, look, he gave Kevin his truck. You yeah, don't just the other thing. give a man a truck and not get anything in yeah, return. That's the other thing that just does not make any sense. This is, Why is he driving that guy's truck around if that guy is not... That guy's a real person. Well, well, here's here's the other thing, too. I feel guilty if I borrow money from somebody and don't pay them back or whatever. <laughs> I can't imagine if somebody was like, hey, keep my truck. You want to go hang out tomorrow night? <laughs> and I never hung out right. with him again. And I'm like, thanks yeah. for the truck, sucker. Yeah, and then he's probably, instead of hanging out with him, he's probably driving drunk in that guy's truck. Yeah, right? Yeah, and I love the fact that they have not dealt with it. They deal with him. When he's drunk, buying more alcohol and being belligerent to a laundromat mm-hmm. owner mm-hmm. and then just cut to him being home and he's okay. It's like, so he didn't kill anybody on his way home or crash into another car? Seems pretty unlikely when you can't even get your car keys into your car door that you'd be a-okay driving home. Yeah. I thought they really over. So I did want to say too, I guess really quick and in my leftover observation concerning Dean or the hunter. Yeah. No one reacted to him shooting a dog and showing up in the middle of the night <laughs> right. right by Gladys's body. Yeah. Nobody reacted. And I went back and I watched it again. You know, Lori's walking towards Gladys. Dean comes out of nowhere, blows away two dogs and Nobody, speaking of, oh, nobody in the GR was like, oh, nobody makes yeah. a noise. No flashlights all jump on him. Nobody yeah. acts surprised. So is Dean just now well known as that guy who will come up out of nowhere, yeah. anywhere and just kill dogs? That's how committed they are. Oh, gosh. That that to me is is like you you wonder is that just shorthand on the day of shooting where you're like, we need Dean to be there. Just get him there. Or did something get cut? Or is that again, just poor writing? Just, you know, when you're writing that scene, you Oh, Dean comes in, shoots two dogs just so he can talk to Kevin. Perfect. Who signed off on that? Because when you watch (laughs) on a show, it's funny in a bad way. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it seems very contrived. And I think we should, I also wanted to address very quickly this idea. A lot of people are saying, or at least thinking that Dean could have been one of the ATFEC uh, officers at the end of the episode uh, who's putting Gladys's body into the crematorium. And I don't know if that's the case it seems like it'd be a little hard to justify with the timeline of the show right but i do think it's possible or at least interesting that uh the idea that dean uh, this guy dean who has presumably shown up out of nowhere because no one in town recognizes him his truck is unidentifiable right um i think it would be interesting if he was uh, an ATFEC officer who was sort of sent undercover to Mableton yeah. just to keep an eye on. He's psychotic enough. If not, yeah, the guilty remnant, then 
you know, just cults in general. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was just sort of a thing that they do, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think that's would be an interesting, maybe an interesting turn. We'll see. Well, and I love how in that town hall scene, we, 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 we talked about this really quick before. I just want to mention it that um, Kevin <laughs> accuses Dean of not being from their right. town. <laughs> yeah. And Dean's response is, yeah, I am. Yeah. I do live here. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Kevin gets angry, says the F word and gets thrown out. You know, right. Gets, get, get, gets pulled. But you're like, did Kevin not know that? Does Kevin, Kevin needs to work on his comebacks. <laughs> his comebacks like, yeah. You don't even live here. He just pulls it out of nowhere. nowhere. You don't even live here. It's like, yes, I do. Like, Kevin, you got to come up with another <laughs> comeback, buddy. You can't just keep accusing people that they don't live here. Everybody yeah. who you talk to lives here. Dean has lived here for 20 years, man. What are you talking about? Um, yeah. So moving on to what I was talking about before with the guilty remnants message. Meg, Liv Tyler says, and I wrote this down. I quoted this because, again, it just is like Liv Tyler says, we want them to remember something they want to forget. And if that is the central message of the guilty remnant, it just doesn't make any sense because everyone is remembering. Yes. They are having, they literally in the first episode had an event called the day of remembering. (laughs) (laughs) And I I guess, I guess again, I'm going to try and defend the GR, although I totally agree with you. That was just a day of remembering, you know, that does not necessarily mean that you are, 365 days a year living right. underneath the weight of remembering. Yeah. So I understand that at the same time, I totally agree. You want them to remember the way that you are remembering your, and what I would say probably mental health issues are putting you towards this proclivity of not wanting to connect to the people around you, yeah. whether it's your family, your fiance or whatever then you are seeing that as truth and you're running towards that. And that is why is that right for everybody then? You know, that's the way that you have responded to this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just raises the question. Like if, if they're so dead set on making people remember something, it seems like they are remember, like, what do they want them to remember? Do they just want them to remember that the, Again, to, because I'm trying to squeeze everything into my theory of the show, are they just wanting everyone to remember that the departure happened as like because that's the beginning of their journey, basically? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I guess that could be it, it just, but it just seems so weird that that's what everyone's talking about when a lot of or I guess all of the show has been focused on how people can't not remember what, like they can't get over it because all they yeah. do is remember what happened. Yep. Moving back to Kevin Garvey, what's the deal with him and Amy and the underage teenage girl stuff? Is it like is it, are they trying to foreshadow something? Are they trying to just provoke a reaction? Is it just like is it just supposed to be like Amy's character? She's just a flirt? Right. And then something that I noticed is is after he gets done talking with Jill, he looks down the hallway and there's first of all, there's cheerleaders 
in the hallway, in the hallway, practicing their routine in the hall of a high school. Is that what cheerleaders do? Uh, that's what these <laughs> cheerleaders. Speaking of I incompetence, guess. that's what these incompetent cheerleaders do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But he and he then he's staring at them. So are we like supposed to get this feeling that like Kevin Garvey has some sort of like fetish for underage girls? Like, where is this going? It's kind of the same thing with the disappearing stuff. Like, if if it's disappearing for a reason, then things should keep disappearing. If they're just disappearing and then <laughs> Re- reappearing, <laughs> like, why are you writing that in the show constantly, right? Like, if he's not attracted to underage girls, why are you constantly showing this, like, ambiguous struggle with underage girls maybe damon lindelof is confessing maybe, maybe i just he's is, coming out he's like, it's something that's just as like <laughs> i you need to just like this needs to happen or it needs to go away right well and i hope it doesn't well, i think that would be really terrible that, that i i agree but that's how i feel about a lot of the things in this show dean the hunter he needs to do something or they need to get him out of there he cannot just keep popping up randomly at all these occasions to then disappear randomly. He can't be gifting trucks right. and killing dogs right. and showing up at town meetings. You know, he needs to either say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing here. Or they need to just be like, uh, sorry to the guy who's acting as Dean. We've, honestly have no idea why we wrote you in this show (laughs) we thought we'd come up with something we just don't you're gonna disappear yeah yeah and the next thing i had written down and this is a callback to all of the terrible um workers in the show just like the completely incompetent employees this dry cleaning clerk or owner or whatever he's like the worst dry cleaning like he's calling everybody names like the chief of police comes in to get his dry cleaning and he calls him officer mustard stain <laughs> and it's like who does that <laughs> like this guy's your customer why are you calling him names right and that, he's also the chief of police like you gotta show some respect right and it's a busy day you're calling him out in front of everybody exactly and then as he and then the second time I watched this the show I had headphones in as Kevin is walking out of the store after he's talked with Nora you can very clearly hear the clerk say hey Mr. Four Eyes <laughs> just like why is this guy calling everybody names I'm, I'm gonna that's not take, something a clerk does I'm, I'm gonna take your word that's hilarious I'm yeah. not even gonna fact check that I'm gonna take that. <laughs> As gospel, that's hilarious. Uh, and the the other, uh, the next thing I had written down, I think this may speak to uh, Sonia's article in the AV Club, which we didn't talk about and we won't talk about. But it's uh, it's an interesting read if you want to go read it. Hmm. But this was something that I noticed both times I watched it. Uh, there's a point I think when the either the mayor says this or. Kevin says this when they're addressing the the city council meeting. Somebody says, I'm sure you're all aware that a violent hate crime occurred. And then it immediately cuts to the black people in the crowd. <laughs> and then it cuts back. It's just like, that's a little, <laughs> that's a little much. Yeah. Uh, and the, oh, the next thing I had. 
this is all I'll have it uh I'll read it as I have it written down. Okay. Five episodes, five ish hours total of the show. I predict that Lori's mouth has been open for four hours and fifty five minutes of that time. <laughs> like every time you cut to her, her mouth is just open. Even if it's just a little bit, like her expression is just like I wish I wish everyone could see your your uh, interpretation of Lori. Her mouth is always open. Just as like, close your mouth. Right. Right? She's a mouth breather. Well, that's all I had from my leftover observations. All right. Do you want... I have a few. Yeah. Um, and I forgot to read my list on last week, but I won't go back. Okay. Number one. Kevin Garvey's refrigerator is really banged up. Yeah. Did you notice it's that? It's from the deer. Oh, is it from the deer? Yeah. Someone pointed that out a couple episodes ago. At first, uh. at first I just thought it was like because at first the only thing you really see is like a stain and I thought, "Oh, that's pretty. That's a nice touch because if a guy was living by himself, he would not be cleaning his stainless steel refrigerator because right. those things are hard to clean." Right. But then someone was like, that's because the deer came in and messed up their house. You know, you know, okay, well then let me take this and turn it around really quick, save face. What is why the animal imagery that has now been dropped? That's pretty true. much. Like I told you're right. I totally forgot the first two episodes he's seeing a deer yeah. appearing and was it real, was it not? And then, you know, of course the the, the deer gets eaten. Um but why have they stopped with this animal imagery? Yeah. Where did it go? Um, also, I wanted to quickly call out, and this is one thing that, that I struggle with, is like in this internet age, it's hard to have an original reaction anymore. Yeah. Because by the time we even record this, literally the night after, everyone has written something. Yeah. But... <clears throat> Again, I reference him at least every episode. Um, the Vox article. Yeah. Um, Brandon. Ambrosino. Mm -hmm. Am Ambrosino. Yeah. Tweeted out John 8, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And I, I read that. And John 8 uh, tells the story. The, the beginning of John 8 tells the story of the um, lady who is dragged out to be stoned for adultery. Mm-hmm. And Jesus writes something in the sand that's mysterious. Um, and all the, the, the crowd disperses. And the one thing that he says is, you know, he without sin, you know, cast the first stone. So I thought that that was an interesting callback. But then also I wanted to just read really quickly Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, which is about a man who's hanged on a tree is cursed. And it says, and if a man has committed a, a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the next day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And I found that to be like, if hopefully Damon Lindelof read that, because that verse seems to be kind of the structure of this whole episode, actually, Yeah. if you think about it. I mean, everything from bookending her death to her burial, which she's never buried, right? Right. So this curse 
that that verse talks about is something that is ongoing now. You know, that this is something else and that curse affects the land that these people were meant to inherit, which is the earth. Yeah. You know, so I, I found that to be a really insightful verse specifically for this episode. But something, too, that I think is interesting to to gauge as we go along, which is, you know, what are the fates of these people? They're obviously lost right now. We've talked about that with the fire imagery. But what are the fates of what are we moving towards? Are we moving towards a purifying fire? Are we moving towards a, you know, uh, fire of punishment? Um, are we now within a fire of doubt? lends that leads to ash you know which was patty's fear and that's where gladys ends she ends in ash right you know and i think that's an interesting point because she is left on a tree all night right yeah and if you take that literally from that verse saying that she's cursed is she cursed because she broke and started speaking at the end right she broke her vow of silence and started speaking so they just end up killing her and leaving her on the tree I think you can look at it that way. I, I think it's that's a very interesting point. And I also wanted to say about um, uh, Brandon's articles on the Vox. They're incredibly written and they're they're yeah. very like insightful and detailed. And that I would definitely recommend checking out his. Um, I wouldn't call them reviews, but just his write ups of the yeah. episodes because they're pretty incredible. It's, it seems like more of our take. Where you're not doing scene by scene. Right. You're hitting major scenes. You're trying to bring out themes and discuss those. I think we, we try and be a little more critical, like show focused than, than he does. But yeah, I like what he Yeah, doing. he definitely has a, 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 like you said, he has a take on the show and he's, and he's very well informed, right? He knows right. what he's talking about. And so he can sort of write to that take. In, in wrapping up, I do want to say as well, something that I, I, I'm glad we didn't talk about and something that I, I think is, you know, debates and discussions like this are are things that are fleeting. Yeah. Um, but the AV article, right? Yeah. That, that's something that, that I would like to, I, I have not thought or planned anything, but I want to write something about it this week. I'm glad mm -hmm. we didn't talk about it. But I'd also encourage people to, you know, read that article and whether it's on their comments board or come to our website mm -hmm. and, uh, and have a little conversation about it. Uh, it's something that I think is, is worth reading and discussing. Yeah. Um, and she makes some interesting points as well as I think some really off base yeah. accusations and claims, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and with that, we'll we'll uh, end the show. But I did want to say too, I, I'm planning. I'm gonna try and write something, and hopefully have it up by tomorrow. Um, that's gonna be centered around the uh, on uh, centered around Gladys's murder and sort of the reaction to it, kind of. But like I said, hopefully that'll be up tomorrow. Okay. It's just a matter of getting motivated, finding the time. Uh, but that that's the show. Thanks for listening. Give us some feedback. You can send us emails. Uh, you know, if you agreed or disagreed with anything on the show, you can go to our website, brownbluewhite.com, and find everything there. 
But really what we're looking for out of all of this is interaction, right? Like we don't advertise on our podcasts. We're not trying to get you to pay for anything. We just kind of want, we're interested in the conversation of it. Right. So we really value the emails that we get and the reviews we see or, you know, any, or, you know, any sort of communication we get on Reddit. That's kind of what we're looking for. We just like to talk about these things and explore them further. So if you can find the time to do anything that falls on those categories, we would really appreciate it. Uh, but everything else you can find in our show notes, our emails, the, the uh, credits for the music that we use for the show. Uh, and I think the probably the quickest and easiest way to get in contact with us would be on Twitter. Uh, I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. And I'm at things come right. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>